The Hazy Podcast is brought to you by EK the DJ and Michael Reed. Join them each season as they discuss the adventures contained in various audiobooks. This season, they'll be providing reactionary commentary on the So I Got Hazed audiobook by Michael Reed. Prologue. My name is Michael Reed. At the time of my life that this book takes place, I was a shaggy-haired, 6'7", 180-pound, 18-year-old know-it-all. A lot has changed since then. At that age, I had an amazingly reckless character, and I was testing my bounds in this world to the extreme. I usually pushed the limits until I experienced an equal or greater force to bring me back down to size. I still have a young, reckless spirit inside of me, but now I can control my urges to drink out of Jack Daniels bottles. I look back at the first semester of college as one of the best collections of memories that I've experienced in my life. That's why I remember it so well. A good memory, an impulse to keep a journal, a binder of release forms, and a lot of discussions were what made this book possible. At what age did you stop drinking out of Jack Daniels bottles and pushing things to the limits? Uh, I don't think I ever drank out of Jack Daniels bottles. I think. At uh, what age did you stop pushing things to the limits? Uh, I don't think I ever stopped. I think, Damn, dude. I think that. Uh, I think that daily limit pushing is vital to a happy existence. But the kind that we were doing when we were 18? No, God, no. Why would I? <laughs> that's a t- no, I could never relive the things that happened back then. Hypothetically. So that's why Alleg- this is a perfect allegedly. prologue. <laughs> we remember important events that change our lives forever. We remember them because they help lay the foundation for who we have decided to become today. For some, it's good experiences that they can remember to get them through hard times. For others, it's bad or traumatic experiences that make them appreciate what they have presently or remind them how much they've overcome. For me, pledging a fraternity was equally good and bad. Some say pledging a fraternity is the best time you'll have in your life that you'll never want to do again. A lot of men in fraternities have formed some of the best friendships in their lives through their fraternity. Many fraternity brothers value the unwavering confidence that they have gained through their fraternity and through their pledging process. We had, and will have, a brotherhood that's formed between us all, and whatever we do remember, good and bad, those memories have been a special part of my life. Memories that outsiders will only be able to listen to through this audiobook. Nobody will ever be able to experience the story the same way that my pledge class did. This book was composed by a collaboration of my journal entries made in college and follow-up clarification interviews. This story is about a part of my life that I would never want to take back. I will always remember my first semester at college and pledging a fraternity is one of the greatest experiences of my life. Pledging will always make me remember a sense of soul, manhood, laughter, and humility. I guess we move on to chapter one. That's, I mean, that's a, you touched on a lot of, I think, really great things. The best time of your life you never want to do again is definitely a common theme, a recurring theme. Think about it often when, when, when hearing these old stories, like, oh yeah, that was, that was a blast. I'm glad that I never have to experience that ever again. (laughs) I think there's a lot, there's going to be a lot of stuff like that. This whole book is just full of things like that. And it's it's crazy that uh, 
as a young man, you value these tiny experiences you have with, and it's usually people that are only a couple years older than you, but you think at the time that they're like this on a pedestal or role model or something to look to as some sort of source of knowledge to better yourself. When in fact, like in this fraternity Greek situation, they're just setting you loose and seeing how far they can get you to do shit and right, still not get in terrible trouble. It's just a testing of boundaries constantly. It how is. far are you willing to go? How far can we push you? How far are you willing to go? Before you end up in a jail cell. Right. And so with that, ladies and gentlemen, we have the first chapter of So I Got Hazed. This is EK the DJ, and I'm Michael Reed. Chapter 1. A New Beginning. Spring 2004. When I was finishing my senior year of high school, I had a mediocre GPA. I spent most of my time hanging out with attractive beach girls and spent all of my money on weed. When I started applying to universities, I didn't have the best luck. The only thing I had going for me was that I sent out a shit ton of applications. In the last two years of my high school career, my father had stage 4 melanoma. I had never used that as a get-out-of-jail-free card, or used it as an excuse for slacking. I probably should have in some cases, but I felt like it was beneath me to use someone else's deteriorating health as an excuse for being more interested in women and weed than classes. So, someone else's deteriorating health, for a, to have that sense of honor in you at a young age, like, I'm not going to use this to my advantage when you very well could, like, that, like that's, that speaks a lot to the strength of character, the type of strength of character it takes to get through the pledging process. I think that's important, like, as a first piece of this book that you touched on that so early, like, like you had, you had character right from the get-go, like, I'm not going to milk this. This isn't how things are done. As you shouldn't, right? It, right. There's no shortcuts. I feel in telling this story, you're sort of telling other people's stories, and you don't want to do too much of that. You want to tell your own story. And when you take on too many other people's bad things or bad circumstance and announce it as your own, it, it doesn't carry the same sort of weight. Yeah. It's overcoming your own challenges. Right. Absolutely. Watching and listening to everyone else at school get accepted to colleges was starting to wear on my self-esteem. Do you remember that? When you were a junior or senior and everybody was getting accepted to universities and you're like, holy shit, what am I going to do with my life? I remember applying to one college and getting Which rejected. college? JMU. I applied to JMU and I got a, a nice little fat rejection letter. Um... And didn't didn't apply to any other schools. Like thought that, oh yeah, I'm gonna get in. Um, no, that's that's not how the world worked out for me. Uh, I went to community college uh, as a result, and then ended up transferring to Radford. So I pledged as a uh, sophomore, or no, junior, sophomore, something like that. When they came to my school, I was so excited. Uh, it was George Mason first. And I was like, oh, cool, a college. This sounds awesome. And they're like talking about the ratios of girls to guys. And I'm just a young misogynistic pig that hasn't had a whole lot Dude, of sex experiences you know yet. That's so funny that you brought that up. They talk about the ratio of girls to guys. That's, that was how they sold Radford. Like that was one of the things was 
oh yeah, it used to be an all girls school, so it's definitely you know skewed more in that favor. And plus, there's a fashion program. I remember being pitched that like that was normal conversation when we were. Is that still a thing in 2020, or is that now frowned imagine. upon? It's got to be frowned upon. I can't imagine that that's how they're pitching people. Hey, there's more girls than guys that go to this school. They can't. Yeah, be there's a lot that. of there's a lot of predeterminations on that one. I thought I would be trapped in Virginia Beach forever. My student counselor took it upon herself to use my father's melanoma and my recent move from Canada as a reason for my low GPA. She used her contacts at some universities and let them know my situation in hopes it would influence them to accept me. So although I had the integrity not to use somebody's deteriorating health, my student counselor took it upon herself to use somebody else's deteriorating health as a conduit. <laughs> Listen, I know your dad is uh, in this yeah. way, so I'm just going to push you. Also, imagine the mindset that an 18-year-old is so naive that they're sad that they're going to be trapped in Virginia Beach forever. Yeah, of geez, all places man, in the world. The oh man, I'm so stuck terrible. at the beach. Stuck at the beach, bro, for the rest of my life. I don't want to be at the beach. Oh my god, I would kill to go back in time. There was one receptive university because come the second half of my senior year, I received my first and only acceptance letter to Radford University. I didn't care that all my other applications were denied due to my low GPA. When I went to university, I was going to be the new kid all over again. So, this might be a little known fact to you, but I went to high school in Canada for two years and high school in the States for two years. But in Canada, to it's... fail is a 51% is, is like a pass. 50, some classes will take that, but it's usually a 49. If you get a 49, you fail. Now, when you transfer credits from a Canadian school to an American school, they do not care about the evaluation number of the grade, or excuse me, the letter of the grade. They care about the number. So they're like, wait, he had a, a what? So there's teachers that are going to gauge you lower because an A was an 80 to a 90. So if they're like, nah, I don't really think he's an A student, I'm going to give him a 79. Well, guess what? In the States, a 74 to a 79 is a D. So my GPA was skunked when I went to the States. That sucks, man. That's, ter that's terrible. I always... considered myself intelligent, but intelligence is always wasted by those without focus or drive. All I could ever focus on at that age were pretty girls and good times. I spent every night out with girls because I loved the attention. I was smart enough to know that some of them were only hanging out with me because of all the pot I had. At the same time, I was too young and inexperienced to realize that others were hanging out with me because they truly loved or cared about me. I didn't realize I shared amazing chemistry with some of these women until my second and third years of college. The summer at home before I left for my freshman year in university, I fell in love with one of these girls and we started dating. Truth be told, I had enough love for all of them. Her name was Brooke, and at the time, I thought she was the hottest thing since sliced bread. That name is dangerous. She was short and cute, with blonde hair and green. The name Brooke yeah. is dangerous? Oh, God, it's, it's dangerous. And being short and cute with blonde hair and green eyes? <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's more danger down the line. But starting with the name Brooke, you can't have a name... You can't have a water name. You can't have, like, a girl named River, a girl named Brooke. Like, not, no. 
no, I don't. There's something there. Something flowy names. This was a uh, flowy names. This girl at the time was was a magical, majestic unicorn to me. Mm. Be nice. <laughs> flowy names are. She was a year younger than I was. So, what was what? Flowy name girls are attractive. That's just part of the. They are. That's part of the deal. <laughs> when I went off to school, she'd still be at home. Many individuals can conclude that long-distance relationships in college usually don't work. It meant when I went off to the wonderful world of drinking, partying, higher education, drugs, and sexual exploration, Brooke would still be learning about the House of Representatives and the Senate. She would probably be watching Mr. Smith Goes to Washington in some boring classroom while I was living it up in Radford. <laughs> so how many people do you know were able to maintain that long distance relationship that they spoke so highly and coveted of when they were in college and then shat all over everybody else that was going out just trying to not even have promiscuous relationships but just extend their network of friends well, are we gonna... or increase their confidence by talking to people they're interested in well are we going to include my story so like before when i came to radford before meeting you before pledging the fraternity and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> the reason I came to school was for a girl. Uh, I was I was going to community college. She went to tech. Uh, we spent a semester apart. It was difficult. She was lonely, didn't have trouble making friends. Um, so that's why I applied to Radford. That was why I, I, I came to Radford chasing her. And my first semester at Radford... I lived at Tech um, until we broke up, and that's when I actually moved over to Radford. So, and play. This just goes to show that love will always lead you to the place where you shouldn't be. Perfect. June two thousand four, orientation. <clears throat> when I first went to university, I expected it to be like a movie, a big party with every possible crazy thing going on. I was close. But during orientation weekend, things were a lot duller than I'd hoped they would be. So when you thought of university when you were in high school, did you think it was going to be like Animal House? Uh, like everywhere you uh, went, yes. there'd be like yes, a I trove thought. of guys with blow up dolls. And I 100% thought it was going to be like Animal House. I thought it was going to be fraternities and sororities everywhere. Um, it wasn't like I thought it was going to be. There was a lot less people wearing letters. Um, but yeah, like <laughs> I remember watching Revenge of the Nerds when I was in high school and like, like those college camp, mo campy movies, like Animal House. And yeah, definitely had some expectations that were like, this isn't what I thought. And that's exactly how it was for me as well. In the beginning, orientation for me was pretty tame because most of the students hadn't returned to school and I just didn't know a lot of people that partied yet. It was early June when my dad drove me to school for orientation. We drove the whole four hours with his Porsche's top down, and I got a nice farmer's tan from it. When we were just outside town, we stopped at a gas station to fuel up. Since we had committed mass genocide on mosquitoes and flies, my dad had used all of his windshield wiper fluid and asked me to fill it up as well. This would have been a simple task for most people, but it wasn't simple at all. I felt rushed when he told me to add the windshield wiper fluid. 
I should have looked more closely at the little wiper label on the cap and the oil label on the other cap. I accidentally added windshield wiper fluid to the oil of his brand new Boxster Porsche. My dad was fucking pissed. So I just gotta say here, it y'all that appreciate these exotic cars and everything, most of you will probably never get to see the underhood of one of these exotic cars. And I'll tell you what, it's not like every other car you see, okay? So you gotta pay more attention to this shit. And I just wasn't I just wasn't a good eighteen year old kid at changing washer fluid in a in a boxed Porsche. I'll own up to it. <laughs> as soon as he rolled into town, we found the first mechanic shop. These were the mechanics that had probably never seen a Porsche up close in their lives. When we pulled into the lot, most of the mechanics came out of the shop to look at the car. They came out to see what the rich old man had done to botch his car up. When we got out of the car and walked into the shop, one of the mechanics asked, Is that there one of them Porsches? My dad explained what I had done, and the mechanic said, Ah, oh, we'll make a run again. His smile showed a few lucky teeth that had managed to hold on to his gums and his long life of apparent outstanding oral hygiene. Watching the mechanics licking their limited teeth, thinking about how much they could price gouge my old man for, made me feel sick to my stomach. Imagine pouring fluid into the wrong receptacle inside a vehicle being bad enough that it's worth like more than I'll ever make in my lifetime at that point. And then you roll in to a country bumpkin town. No offense to any country folk out there, but for a city guy, you're like, Oh crap, where am I? I'm in the middle. It's for me, the middle of nowhere. And I've ruined my dad's vehicle. Like, what do you do? Right. You have no choice. You have to get, whatever it is that they serve to you. And in this case, it was a big bill and not a bunch of deliverance dick. I feel like, you know, part of this is on him, though. Like, like you had no business opening the hood of that car. <laughs> I actually agree. I agree with that. Now, to his credit and to my dismay, before this, my first job next to something embarrassing that I don't even want to bring up in this reaction was uh, a mechanic. And they didn't trust me doing mechanic work, so they only let me do oil changes. So the fact that I was very familiar with a various amount of vehicles, where their oil caps were, and where the spout was on the bottom of the vehicle, just makes this much more yeah, like heart-wrenching. You got nothing going for you now. I was on your side. <laughs> we had to spend four days in Radford instead of two because the mechanics had to flush the car. They charged him $400, my first university mistake, and certainly not my last. But do we need to start a tally? So <laughs> How much money you first, cost your dad? Yes, my first time orientation, 600 bucks because we had to stay an extra two days minimum, plus food, I guess, for those two days, and then the $400 for... Uh, flushing his car. So, like, six or seven hundred bucks. And school hasn't even started yet. By any means. My dad was so mad at me, but I was the first promising child headed off to university, so his anger quickly passed. He was just proud to be getting me out of the house 
and not out of a jail cell, I'm sure. I had always had a very rebellious attitude and was lucky to be alive at 18, let alone have this great opportunity before me. My dad and the other visiting parents didn't stay in the dorms. They stayed in comfy rooms off campus at a hotel, the same place that alumni took freshman and sophomore one-night stands when they came into town. When we first got to the university, I had already started on a bad note, because we were going to be forced to stay a few extra days. The campus was full of cocky, wide-eyed freshmen, just like me, from all over the nation. The students and upperclassmen looked at us like the fresh meat we were. This was my new melting pot, and I couldn't wait to fit right in, and hopefully, I would fit into a popular crowd. There were beautiful men and women everywhere around campus, and I was going to have to work out as a full-time job to take head of the flock. There were I thought the best part of university at first was getting to see people that were new. Like people that I hadn't been around for and I mean for life. me it wasn't as yeah, for me it wasn't as bad because I had just moved. But in the two years I got pretty popular, so I met everybody and I'm like, okay, let's move on to greener pastures. And here I am, a little fish in this big pond with all these other minnows, and I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah, and and by design too, the parents stay off campus, and the kids get to roam free for the night. It's like, look, you get to fuck off like this as much as you want. As soon as your parents are gone, come to this school, and you can fucking party. And you know what? Maybe that's a big point of it too, right? Maybe it helps the parents sort of give up except, their kids yeah, because some of them are like, yeah, exactly. Except for those few kids whose, like, parents get them the next morning and they're, like, obviously hungover and smelling of liquor. Or, like, you know, their daughter is clearly not so innocent anymore because she got sex hair and there's a smell. You know, like... Well, don't don't ruin <laughs> anything now. <laughs> there were so many different crowds, and everyone had such varying amounts of confidence. Since my confidence had been so heavily reliant on the control of drugs, I almost felt out of my element at university. The first night of orientation was pretty sweet. The guy that I was rooming with for orientation was into partying as well. This meant I didn't need to worry about having a straight-edge kid looking over my shoulder while I rolled blunts. He came to orientation with his best friend that was staying in another room in the dorm. They made me feel like a third wheel for a bit, but after we all got wasted, that feeling quickly passed. Imagine being such a delinquent kid. That on your orientation for school, you bring marijuana up with you. Not only that, imagine being in such a crowd of delinquents that you were paired with a roommate that has also brought Jack Daniels up. And between the <laughs> two of you, you have created a party for these strangers as well. It's about to be a good time. It's about to be a real good time. The first night, we met three girls and invited them to smoke and drink with us. Their names are as unimportant now as they were then. We spent the night walking around the streets of Radford, smoking weed and drinking out of a 40-ounce Jack Daniels bottle together. Eventually, we made our way back over to the campus and played some of the games that the campus had set up for the new student orientation. There was punch, some snacks spread around, and beer goggle testing. I tried on the beer goggles and already had a little buzz going. I immediately wanted to puke all over the perfectly maintained grass below my feet. With my new band of friends, we made our way back to the room that we were staying in. We started pounding shots, and I rolled up some more blunts, 
because how else were we going to have a one-night stand with these random girls? After a few hours of smoking and drinking, my roommate's friend bailed because the girl that he was trying to hook up with was not having it, and she left. Then, the last two girls decided they wanted to go to bed. Not their beds. Our beds. So something in my young mind told me that, like, when a girl or a woman is in your bed, that, like, it's almost like the underpants gnomes in South Park. There's <laughs> underpants, then there's a question mark, and then there's profit. It's like when there's a girl and she's in your bed, it equals sex. Question mark equals sex. And, like, it's that's the equal part that's stuck in that equation or even the bracketed part that you just can't figure out. And at that age, I just didn't have it. And it seems like also a reoccurring theme of this story. After a few minutes, we flicked off the lights, and in my mind, it was on. However, my spooning mate thought otherwise. In her mind, I was about to have the most uncomfortable, sleepless night of my young life. My roommate started making out with the girl in his bed. The one in my bed was a five at best, and was lucky she was in anyone's bed. I tried putting the moves on her, and by moves, I mean lying completely still for a bit while listening to my roommate and his girl hook up. This girl was like spooning a fucking cold stone. I was whispering in her ear, and eventually, she told me that she had a boyfriend back home. I was so disappointed for two reasons. One, I wouldn't be getting my willy wet, and two, that she had someone back home that she was still cheating on. It sounded familiar. I had someone back home too, but I was so young that it wasn't a set in stone thing yet. And since I wasn't setting anything into the cold stone beside me, I figured I would be an asshole. I lit up a blunt and started puffing it out the window. When I began looking out the window, I realized there was a police station positioned directly across from the building we were in. The room we were in was at the end of the hall on the second floor of the honors dorm. It was kind of exciting to be that close to authority and doing something bad. I just want to take this time to apologize to Brooke for uh, <laughs> spooning and trying to get my willy wet with some girl that at the time I didn't even consider was a five. And I'm not even trying to be a negative Nancy about her looks because she didn't put out. I was just at a point in my life where I would take anything that was served to me and try to grand slam that thing. Because it wasn't very often I was, I was served many, many pitches to grand slam. Well, how dare you? <laughs> I was such a rebel. Thinking about it now, I guess being a rebel and fucking retarded go hand in hand. When the blunt went out, I tried hooking up with the girl again, and she told me to just go to sleep. Her words stung deep, yet again. I obeyed, sprawled out, and went to sleep, almost pushing her off the bed with my giant body. <laughs> Dick. As soon as this non-sleeping bitch saw the crack of the sun come out, she told her friend, who was in the midst of a seven-hour makeout session, that they had to go back to their room before their parents came by. So, I also just want to say that throughout this entire book, when I use objective speech towards women or things that might be offensive towards people, I mean their absolute meaning and not things that could be misconstrued. However, I do refer to women a lot as bitches, but I love all of you. They both left, and my roommate gave me the evilest look, like I was the Grinch that stole his present before he got <laughs> to unwrap it. 
So this dude had been making out with this girl for, I don't even know, like eight to ten hours trying to get it in. Maybe like six to eight hours-ish trying to get it in. And I think the only thing that was really stopping her was that me and her friend were in the room. I think at that point, if we could have like teleported to some other place, that it would have gone down. Yeah. <laughs> but because we were there, it threw off their mood and because her friend wasn't into it i mean that very well could have turned into a potential awesome situation should everybody had been more free-spirited at the time <laughs> however i might have gotten regrets from it who knows that could have been like a case of chlamydia around 9 a.m my dad came by the room and he took me to sign up for classes i was so sunburned from the drive up that when we went to have my student picture taken I looked red with a white tan line showing on my neck. We attended a few seminars for students and parents and learned one thing. There would be a lot of pressure on me, and my dad would have to be supportive. In other words, lucrative to me throughout the semester to help me keep my mind straight with lots of weed. It would be a few more months before my dad would be dropping me off at university and throwing me into the fire, or melting pot as I like to refer to it. It was probably because I was so excited to melt a shit ton of pot without the scrutiny of parents. For whatever reason, I thought that the law stopped as soon as it hit the edge of the campus, and whatever took place inside Radford was lawless. An educational wild west. I still had a lot to learn, but some people have to learn the hard way. That's the only way I learned at that age. The next time I saw the beautiful campus of Radford would be in mid-August. Imagine being so excited to just go to a place to smoke weed <laughs> that you wouldn't be around family. Like, not that you have this amazing educational opportunity in front of you, going to Radford or any university, having it compensated by another individual. You literally are just looking for a weed spot and a place to party. Like, the priorities of... uh. 17 18 year old mike are much different than the priorities of this old bald sack of coal it was, i was I, I was motivated by different things i think i just wanted to be on my own i just wanted to be independent like i wasn't looking for a place to party really i just wanted to, a place to be to prove to prove that i could do it to prove that i could stand on my own feet cuz you know i paid my parents helped me out a lot, um, paid my tuition. Uh, I don't have any student loans. I'm very fortunate. Um, but there were times where I had to pay all my rent. I had to pay for every expense, every utility. There was there was a lot of a significant amount of time where I was on my own, um, and I and that felt good to be on my own. And I think that was a. That I think was it something I got that out. age too. You like that's. The thing you're supposed to do, you're supposed to continue. Society tells you you're supposed to continue your education and that life will be easier if you have more. Eh, it depends. It depends if that field becomes obsolete. August 18th, move-in day. It was August 18th, 2004, when my dad drove me back to Radford, Virginia. It was time to move into my dorm room and start life as a college freshman. As we cruised down I-85 in my dad's dark black GMC Suburban, 
I could smell the fresh scent of the mountain trees blowing in the wind. I helicoptered my window until my dad made me roll it up. He thought it would be smarter to bring a vehicle that could take the punishment of a trip to Radford. He left the Porsche at home this time, and not for its lack of room. This way, his idiot son couldn't add wiper fluid to the oil again. My dad and I sat quietly for most of the long drive, periodically striking up conversations to pass the time. I asked him to tell me any college stories that he could remember, or funny stories that would make us laugh. This helped calm my excitement, since I needed to keep a level head going into college. When I asked him about his past, he had a tough time remembering, probably because he was focused on his son's new journey. I'm sure he didn't want to tell me too many of his college stories, in an attempt to prevent me from using his tomfooleries as a hurdle for my upcoming adventure. He did tell me three stories in particular that I will never forget because it made me realize that he was such an epic individual in his college years. The first story he told me was just a tease of his hijinks. My dad roomed with three other engineers in school. Around the time The Exorcist came out, everyone was really on edge when it came to horror movies. One night, my dad and his friends decided to scare a group of girls that lived in the dorm room below them. One of his friends tied a sheet to himself while the others lowered him out their dorm room's window. They lowered him to the girl's window below their room and he banged on it to scare them. The girl screamed bloody murder when he banged on their sixth floor window in the middle of the night. When he told me this, all I could think was that he didn't have to preface it with a scary movie coming out around the same time. The women they pranked were probably more petrified to see someone banging on their window in the middle of the night, six stories up. I'm a grown-ass man, and no if I was staying in an apartment or in anything, <laughs> even to this day, if that happened, it would scare the living shit out of me, dude. I don't care. Dude, I'm on the, I'm on the ground care. floor. I have one-story house. I have a one-story house. If someone knocked on my window, I would lose my shit. In the middle of the night, yeah. and scary movies are becoming a thing, and The Exorcist just came out, and everybody's on edge because they're showing it all over campuses. <sighs> and... Like, what if they would have dropped him? These are how these. Yeah. This is the beginning. It was a sheet. It was a tied sheet. Stupid shit in the story. Yes, lowering him out a window, bro. And these are engineers. They could have used anything else to not. Maybe I don't know. Maybe they were smart enough that they're like, well, the tinsel of the the tinsel strength of this sheet is good enough that it can carry Tony's two hundred and thirty pound body, uh, fourteen feet before we it braid, loses its power. If we braid three together and get it wet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this is why you see these articles, and it's like student dies to hazing death with sheet wrapped around him, having thrown himself out window, or it, you know. It's in the 80s, so it would have been like student dies of apparent suicide. Nobody really knows what happened. And then these three people live with this terrible secret for the rest of their lives. Wow, this got really dark. That was the uh, At the plot end of the story, of the you did my dad... Dr I'm sorry. Was it? Okay. <laughs> Watched too many movies. Drove home the point that if they would have accidentally dropped the sheet, their friend would have plummeted to his death. My dad gave me the parental advisory warning and told me not to try it. He said that I would probably kill someone or get expelled if I did. I took a mental note not to hang people from sheets out windows. The second of my dad's stories began like his first, 
peering out of his multi-level dorm's window. He and his gang of stooges would fill up black industrial garbage bags with hundreds of pounds of water. Then they would drag the bags to their windowsill. When they saw people entering the dorm, they would roll the bags out the window. When the bags hit the ground, they exploded in front of people, soaking them with water. It was like a giant water balloon. I know this is so stupid, but like, even though this could kill somebody, I am dying laughing over here because I'm just like, this is the second prank <laughs> out the same goddamn window that he used that could have murdered somebody. This is like the death spot. <laughs> Imagine if you're walking into a dorm or anything. In a big black industrial garbage bag, <laughs> like a black comet, hits the ground in front of you and explodes water everywhere. Even if you're able to figure out in the first couple seconds what it was and what happened, it would still scare the absolute bonkers out of you. Yeah, it's all water. There's a lot. It was a lot of water. <laughs> no, I don't smell pee. <laughs> <laughs> So you're one of those guys that used to throw those yes yellow snowballs in Canada. Just like with his first story, my dad was sure to warn me of the dangers of his prank. He said that if one of those garbage bags hit someone in the head, it could have killed them. At the time, his stories were hysterical to me. When I tried to picture my dad of all people doing such things, I just couldn't believe it. We laughed and laughed while my dad reminisced on what funny and dangerous pranks he had played in his youth. He took part in a lot of high-risk pranks. The stories were great for laughs and all, but if things went wrong, someone would have died. He entrusted me with stories that my brothers and sisters were not privy to. Driving to school was a good bonding experience between my father and I. We shared the same rebellious spirit. I think that with his age and wisdom... My father was much better at hiding his rebellious spirit from me. He was slowly letting me see that side, but not too much of it, in fear that I wouldn't respect him anymore. All of the stories he told me on the expedition were noteworthy, but the third and final story trumped the rest. One of his good friends that was an engineer had figured out a way to create a giant foam wave using the local water filtration plant. One night, they snuck into the plant with industrial bags of detergent, and poured them into the water containers. They only added enough of the chemical to the water that it wouldn't make it unsafe to drink after filtration. According to the slightly exaggerated story, the foam wave was 20 feet high and 20 feet long. The wave chased my dad and his friends down the street. After hearing his stories, I knew I was going to have to find friends as crazy and as daring as I was. So one of his friends worked at this like laundry mat that had all these industrial pods and I guess the industrial stuff, right. That expands right. much bigger, <clears throat> probably destroy a, a regular sized consumer grade version. But yeah, they, uh, they were running down the street away from a foam wave that was chasing them and slowly <laughs> expanding. That's awesome. <laughs> it's almost terroristic when you think about it. The stuff that way I can blow it. The stuff, Say what? the stuff that your uh, your pops got into, it's definitely some epic level engineering kind of prankery. That's true. That's true. Like it took it took an exorbitant amount of thinking and brain power to at least achieve this one. 
I don't know how much brain power it took to chuck a giant water balloon garbage bag out of a window. But to know how much water it would take to fill a trash bag without it, uh, and be able to exploding? lift it, and to be able to lift it without well, he said it. that they had to worm it across the floor, <laughs> and then roll, like all of them had to shuffle their arms under it to get it onto the windowsill as it's like a morphing around the windowsill. And then they said that they would all just be giggling, waiting for the person to show up close enough that they could push it. And the entire time, they're hoping one of two things. One, it that it doesn't kill pop. them. <laughs> yeah, and the, the other one is that it explodes in front of them. Stories out of the freaking water. After story time, we occasionally struck up more conversations throughout the drive. Talking helped take our minds off the fact that it was going to be one of our last road trips together for a long time. It was exciting because it was a new adventure and sad because I wasn't sure if I was ready for college. I was leaving the first love of my life behind. I was ready to get out of my house, but I didn't feel like I was ready to plunge into the world of college at the time. It didn't matter what I wanted, though. I was leaving the nest, and a lot was riding on my success at college. I was excited that my dad was the one helping me move into my dorm. The guy I had almost lost to a battle with melanoma just a year earlier. I'm sure he had even more on his mind than I did on that ride up to school. He was still working through his own experiences when I still had to experience so much on my own. When we arrived at the school, although I had been there before, the campus still amazed me. I couldn't believe that this would be my home for the next four years. The campus was huge and gorgeous. Each brick building had massive entrances guided by shrubs and beautiful blends of rose plants with other exotic plants. Every building looked brand new. What was your favorite spot on campus? <clears throat> Definitely not the police station. Um, my favorite spot would probably be the Dalton Food Hall. Dalton Food Hall? And... Um, outside Muse dormitory was pretty cool. So for anybody listening, this is a 13 story dorm. Um, and in front of it, it has probably a football field of grass where people are just hanging out and throwing balls around and frisbees and all sorts of other cool things. Any where was your favorite spot? Uh, I, I was going to ask you of any specific spot in those places. Yes, but I, I don't want to get into them now because I, gotcha. I feel like we'll, that'll be we'll later revealed. So, yeah, there was a willow tree um, that was on campus in, like, one of those brick planters, like, big brick planters, like, encased in, like, big blocks. You, you know okay. What, you know what I'm talking about, right? I I will for the sake of everybody else out there listening. We're just picturing a willow tree in some sort of encased so brick. So it was, it was <clears throat> big enough that you know people would it's like sit. the tree in the stone yeah people would sit all around it on the on the brick like planter thing it was it was not a planter it was like a like a foundation around it that you could sit on um, okay so yeah people would sit around it reading books and working on school stuff and or hanging out playing playing guitar in the quad you know stuff like that and so i just i just one of my favorite spots on campus I, I don't think the campus, 
ever failed to impress though like so, like that willow tree was probably growing since our parents were a thought in our I mean, grandparents yeah, it was, it, was de- it was a decent size i mean like it was big enough for a bunch of people to sit around it something you would only see in the movies at preppy west coast schools even the bricks on the buildings were immaculate and they looked like they had been scrubbed with a toothbrush each of the buildings had large sidewalks outside them about 12 feet across, that trailed around the entire campus. The sidewalks created mazes throughout the campus. Some led to hidden entrances of buildings. The sidewalks ensured fast travel to any inter-campus destination. Most of the buildings had lights outside them to ensure the paths were well lit at night. Radford really makes me, to this day, appreciate the need for large sidewalks and just sidewalks in general everywhere on both sides of the street very necessary we have to most buildings boasted large we have to protect our pedestrians (laughs) we do (laughs) especially when most of the buildings boast large and awesome trees amongst other things which we will find out trees or flowers outside of them that look to have been growing for 20 years or more The plants and trees had lived through thousands of urinations, vomits, beers, and abuse, making their survival impressive. So this comment might, like, go unnoticed within this book, but imagine a tree that gets peed on every day. (laughs) At least once a day. At least once a day. For every single day. For 20 to 50 years. That's more than some toilets get used yeah. before they're replaced. That's a Actually, I desperately ask any of you that have a toilet that is 50 years old <laughs> to replace it urgently. <laughs> I couldn't understand how something could be so well kept, despite the partying and mayhem happening within Radford. The campus was welcoming and comforting right from the start. Finding a place to park wasn't too bad. My dad found an open spot by the library. We only had to walk up about a hundred stairs, then walk another hundred yards to get to the entrance of my building. I hope that you can understand the sheer sarcasm of my statement there, because having to move into a 13-story dorm and having to park football fields away, and not only that, but having to walk up a mountain of stairs with all of your stuff, and your dad having just recovered from cancer, so you are... The scum of the earth, if you ask somebody like that to help you carry anything, right? You're like, here, carry this stuffed animal so you feel involved. Let's go. It was awful. And then on top of that, everybody else is moving in. So right. the elevators are taken up by people that are standing in line waiting for the elevator. To go to the Carrying their stuff. Floor. Yep. And the stairwell is completely filled 13 stories of people shuffling by each other. And people are so inconsiderate and in such a rush that they have created three lines one for the people trying to get up two for the people trying to get up further and three for all the people trying to get back down and why were people bringing like some such unnecessarily large things with them like uh additional furniture for the dorm rooms that was not gonna fit it wasn't gonna fit nothing else was gonna fit you were supplied all the furniture you needed I can't wait until we start talking about furniture within this book. (laughs) To the dorms, we walked up the four flights of stairs while carrying all of my belongings, one trip at a time. 
I felt so confined carrying my TV up the stairwell, and I thought I'd surely drop it. It took quite some time to carry everything up. My TV, my computer, school bags, a few boxes, and school supplies. I had to jockey for a position for my feet on each stair. The 13-story staircase was full of people both coming and going. I did most of the heavy lifting because my dad was still recovering from having so many surgeries. It was cool because I got to hang out with him for a bit longer. My roommate wasn't there yet, so I just picked a closet and bed in the tiny room. My dad helped me unpack some of my stuff. I told him to stop helping me unpack when he started getting too intrusive. I didn't want him finding anything he shouldn't have. <laughs> so imagine your parents helping you unpack because like that's the only thing they can help you do so they're pulling out like your pencils and your pens and then they're like all right you need any more help and you're like nope not in that box dad that's full of small condoms and drugs and jack daniels when we were done unloading everything in the dorm he drove me to the barber shop he pulled up next to the curb outside the entrance to a barber shop, and told me that he loved me. He pulled out a big wad of cash from his pocket. He said that it was all the money he had, and he wished he had more to give me. He told me that he wanted me to do well, gave me a long hug, and wished me good luck. I said, Thanks, Dad. That's more than enough. I love you. I didn't know what else to say. Looking back now, I should have told him that I just wanted to make him proud. So we'll find out how much it was in the next chapter next time you guys come and check out this podcast. I'm making notes. I hope that you guys enjoyed what we've done as a reaction so far. And we're going to let all of these chapters in this book be free um, with our reaction attached to them. We're not done with chapter one yet, are we? Well, we can be. We can use this as a clip at the end if you want and keep going through chapter one if you still have energy. I thought that you might be done. It's definitely, I'm definitely, uh, I've been feeding myself sugar. I don't know if you'd notice. <laughs> because 10 minutes more of reaction or 10 minutes more of audio is going to give like 30 minutes of reaction. See, now we're going to have to cut this conversation out. Will we though? Really? We don't have to. We can leave it. If you're a lazy editor. It's not necessarily about being a lazy editor. I mean, this is the reality of the conversation behind the book. I mean, if you're if you're a book, well, the reality is, if you can make it another chapter and man the fuck up and keep eating your little raisinets or whatever it is you're eating over there, then we can keep on going. But if you need to go to sleep, then I get that too. Yeah, I gotta work in the morning, and uh, it's uh, you know, that the, there is a time difference between us. Um, That's true. So. Uh, you know, back in back in Canada land, it's like three hours. You know, you're a time traveler now. I am. I'm like, uh, I was going to say Benjamin Button, but he's more of like a body shifter. I feel like we're not taking advantage of this this dynamic enough. The fact that you're a couple hours behind me. I, I could warn you of stuff that's going to happen. Like, don't watch don't watch Conan tonight. Um, well, I never watch Conan, so it's never going to be a problem. OK, cool. So you're good. I only like comics. <laughs> When you only like comics? Oh, I can't put this in my book now. It'll be a slur. It'll get taken out. Everything's a parody, right? Everything? Everything. Everything. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Uncut and Raw, dude. Uh, I love, uh, I love the extra stuff. I love, 
I love the commentary. You know, especially when when watching a movie I've seen a bunch of times before. I love I love it when the the commentators get sidetracked and go down rabbit holes. It shows you like the personality of the actor or the writers and I like that. Um are you excited to hear what happens after I get moved in? Yeah, I mean, well here's the thing. Like so as as I when I got your book in the mail, um which I ordered from Amazon and it was very easy. All I had to do was put it in my prime catalog and it just came within two to three days it was insane especially with all the corona stuff going on it came so fast um what an amazing plug yeah uh but yeah so i've what i've done is i've to show people how great this story is written i've flipped to random pages uh, so there are some stories in here that I've read that I've heard before, and there's some stories that I've been told from different perspectives uh, that I experienced myself, but hearing it from your perspective is interesting. Um, and then there's uh, some stuff, obviously, that happened when I wasn't around, which is kind of cool. Um, but I've not read the book in its completion, so it's really cool to experience it this way with you here. So I can ask questions. Absolutely. I can ask questions. With my voice. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's for free. So it's, what can beat this? It's like watching the commentary of a movie, but like I'm part of the conversation. See, now all I need is people to like, follow, and subscribe, yeah. and I can make this happen a lot easier. All right, well, should we sign off? We should sign off. We should bid each other adieu. Uh, should, we, should we come up with some like tagline for that? Some special sign-off? Well, I thought that earlier I was going to just be like, hey, guys, you know, like, I hope you enjoyed it. Listen to us next week. But now we're going to have to, like, backtrack and since I've already now said this twice. So I think, like, what people can do if they like what we're putting out, they need to follow FXBG Public Radio on Facebook and check out the website. Um, EK the DJ also does bookings. If anybody in which area are you going to serve to would like to do bookings? Uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia and the surrounding areas. And what kind of bookings do you do as a DJ? Uh, I'm more of an all-purpose sound guy than a DJ, so I can do like uh, open mic, karaoke, um, also DJ, uh, just just a public address, you know, any, anything. I can do sound for bands. Uh, any so kind, should any we kind rebrand of, you from EK audio. the DJ to all-purpose EK? All-purpose EK. Uh, I like EK. Yeah. I like EK the Wizard. APEC, all-purpose EK. APEC. Um, people can also check out hazypodcast.com, where yep. we're going to post all of this stuff. Do that. And they can check us out on YouTube. They can check out um, FXBG Public Radio on Twitter, as well as So I Got Hazed, which is me. Um, they can check out the Born and Improv uh as well as all of the other things that you'll see on our Twitter feeds and our media feeds that we're supporting because everybody in D should support each other. Yeah. Also buy the book. It's worth it. <laughs> <laughs>